the latest in agricultural media, and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network Podcast. Welcome to the Ag Communicators Network Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Navarra. This year, the Ag Communicators Network celebrates its 100th anniversary. While we're all disappointed that we won't be celebrating in person, we brought together several people who have served as president to reflect on the changes they've seen, share favorite memories, and their predictions for the future. One thing they say will never change, regardless of technology or a global pandemic, is that solid reporting and good storytelling will always be at the heart of what the Ag Communicators Network stands for. Welcome to the podcast. Joanne, I'll start with you. Please tell us how you first got involved with the Ag Communicators Network. So I started working uh, for an ag publishing company in 1986 and joined the the organization shortly thereafter. So I guess I've been a member for about 34 years. And I've served in a number of different capacities as uh, chairs of committees and on committees and um, was elected president in 1999. And um, interestingly, that was the first year that we had the Ag Media Summit in Denver, Colorado. And um, Greg may remember that we won the cow milking contest that year, (laughs) which was kind of one of the fun activities that we did at that event. And um, yeah, it's just been really, really uh, gratifying to be part of the organization and working on the mentoring program and many of the other activities that we've done. So hi, everybody. Uh, This is Greg Hillier with uh, Progressive Farmer Magazine. Yeah, I think I joined uh, AAEA uh, at my first job right out of college at Wallace's Farmer, uh, Monty Sesker, who was the editor at the time, and Al Bull, who headed up Farm Progress, were both very active in the organization and encouraged uh, all the editors to to, uh, join the organization. And I was trying to think back, I don't think I was really very involved in the organization in my early years for whatever reason, Uh, probably just trying to get my feet under me with the job and responsibilities there. But uh, I soon started going to some of the annual meetings, got very involved with lots of committees as just like Joanne and uh, served on the board and then was elected uh, president uh, in 1998. So the year prior to Joanne, I handed the gavel off to her. And yes, I do remember the milking contest. I have my bell trophy probably displayed in my office still. (laughs) Well, I'm Gil Gullickson. I'm the current president. Um, I actually joined out of college. I was encouraged by my uh, boss at the time, Tom Doty, who was managing editor of the Farmer Dakota Farmer. And my first meeting, it was in Kansas City, I think at the Hyatt Regency. And what I mainly remember about that meeting is I was in a hospitality room with a bunch of people I didn't know. And there was another person about my age and we started talking and I found out that he had been to my hometown of Langford, South Dakota. And that person was Mike Wilson. We were just like two chair scared church mice in a corner, but it just evolved into a lifelong uh, uh, friendship. And I like Greg, I just wasn't really involved early on. I think at that time that there wasn't as much encouragement for younger members to be involved. And I think it was in the, in the 1980s farm crisis too, where publications were 
cutting back on their travel budget. But I started uh, going to AEA meetings probably regularly about 1990, I believe, and uh, just through the years uh, served uh, as chairman of the Professional Improvement Foundation Committee, chaired the writing awards committee, uh, served on a number of others, and was uh, became president last year. Great. It sounds like the AMS is a fun event. Um, hopefully, I'll have a chance to attend one. It's um, not a conference I've had a chance to make it to, but it's been on my bucket list. And unfortunately, this year, I um, won't be able to join either, but looking forward to hopefully in 2021. And so um, this is the association's 100th year. Uh, that's a big milestone. When we think about all of the changes that have gone on and farming in general, um, technology, just society. Um, I was curious if you could share with our listeners um, how the association first got started. Yeah, I can start. Um, according to my research, because of course, none of us were there. We're old, but we're not quite that old. <laughs> A small group of editors uh, started meeting at the International Livestock Exposition, and they were just meeting informally and um, they decided then, that was in about 1916, and they saw the need for an organization hoping that it would be of value to members and would also instill values that could be passed on to farmers. So over the years, they really, um, they really started becoming more active in the late 1960s. And it, at that time, it became less of a good old boys club and more focused on professional development. And I think you are going to find out from us later some of those milestones that were happening along the way. Interesting. And um, I know that none of us were around, um, certainly in those days. Um, but what was it like in the um, early days of the association? Um, did the archives kind of share what some of those early gatherings looked like or some of their focuses were? I think I can go on uh, in 1996 there was a book published the 75th anniversary and Wayne Swiggle who Swiggle he was formerly unsuccessful farming he served in USDA under Earl Bud said he talked about in the 50s and 60s he kept using the phrase it's boozy schmoozy waste and I think back then it was a mostly male membership. But again, as Joanne said on professional improvement, he told a story about he was in this hospitality room in 1968. And a, at that time, young editor by the name of Larry Harper, who later on became a longtime editor of the Missouri Ruralist, cornered him and said, Swiggle, I want to talk with you. And he expressed the need for professional improvement on younger members. And Wayne said at first, you know, well, we'll give him a chance to speak at the annual meeting and it'll all go away because, mm -hmm. you know, no one will listen to him. Well, Larry apparently gave such an eloquent talk about the need for professional improvement and to improve writing and photography and other editorial skills that that did it. That mm -hmm. really changed the focus of the organization from those bougie schmoozy ways towards a lot more professional improvement and professional development. Yeah, I'm kind of related to that. So yeah, I kind of used the 75th anniversary booklet <clears throat> as my guide as well, but also stories that I've heard from some of the older members. Um, AAEA used to have a summer meeting and that was really geared towards 
the entire family. I mean, the editors would get together throughout the year for meetings and things like that. But the organization thought it was very important for the families to get together as well. So in addition to the regular you know, business type meetings and maybe some professional improvement sessions, they had lots of activities <clears throat> geared towards the families like competitions and things of that sort. And a lot of the editors and their respective wives and kids became lifelong friends uh, through these through these summer meetings. And I remember the first summer meeting I went to, it was actually in Washington, D.C. And one of the highlights, you'd always have an opportunity to have a press conference with the Secretary of Agriculture and or the President of the United States. So, I mean, those were big events and kind of recognize the prestige that, uh, uh, you know, farm editors had, you know, with uh, the power brokers in Washington. And then one other highlight was also, was also they divide the group up and you'd get to visit one of the foreign embassies that was based in DC. And I was fortunate enough to go to the Russian embassy that year. Mm -hmm. And I still remember they gathered all of us in this courtyard and it seemed like we were standing there forever. Couldn't figure out why they wouldn't let us through the front door. And I happened to look down, it was kind of in a garden setting. There was this little metal box, kind of looked like a, a birdhouse. And then I looked closer and there was a big camera lens uh, <laughs> looking up at all of us. So I figured their security detail was checking out everyone before they let us through the front door of the embassy. They're always watching. <laughs> Uh -huh. well, and Katie, I might add, this isn't really talking about the association, but just to kind of remind people who are listening what our work was like during that time, too. I mean, we started with regular typewriters. I, I actually started with an electronic typewriter, not a manual, but uh, many of our members were using, you know, manual typewriters. And then we went to these big, clunky word processors, and then we went to big, clunky, you know, computers and then laptops, and we started putting information online for our readers um, in about the mid-1990s. But when you think about how our jobs have changed, well, the association has evolved right along with us. Mm. Certainly, um, technology has changed the way um, that we report, we write, we um, produce. Um, you know, it's, I'm a member of a equine media group as well, and we celebrated our 50th anniversary this year and heard, you know, different editors talk about what it was like to get the, the proofs, you know, you, you, they weren't these PDF proofs, but, you know, big film like um, negatives of their publication before they went to print. Um, and for those of us who are a little bit younger, that's hard to even imagine um, because by the time we got involved, all of that had been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back even further than that when you had, um, galleys that you had to read and you mm -hmm. used the hot wax and you had to actually lay it out manually. And um, I don't know, <clears throat> Greg and Gil, I'm sure are too young to remember that, but when we were working for the breed magazines, we'd go over to the printers every month and we'd sit right there and we'd, um, you know, lay out the magazine at that time. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm glad we don't do it that way anymore though. <laughs> I always remember about those days is most, when I was farm progress, most of us worked in, offices outside of the main headquarters so we would never see the magazine until it came out well invariably every few years you'd have an inexperienced art director who was not familiar with agricultural journalism and they'd have a cover or a photo inside of a combine unloading grain 
but invariably sometimes they would flip the photo so the auger was coming out of the right side of the combine instead of the left side and i could always tell how the harvest was going for farmers because they would get that probably in october where they were out harvesting and if it was beautiful bluebird weather you would not hear a peep but if it was one of those just awful cold rainy muddy harvest oh my gosh you would get these blistering phone calls and, oh you don't even know what side of the auger combine is. <laughs> well and you may remember gil um an art director at one time that had a picture of corn for the cover and he called one of the editors and he said something is wrong with this corn it's all dented <laughs> yeah, yeah. there was the one it was a picture of a farmer climbing up a silo except they laid the photo horizontally so it was crawling across <laughs> well it takes the fall hazard out of it yeah right? <laughs> they made it safer <laughs> um you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, I'm kind of curious to hear from you what you feel some of the association's most notable milestones have been um, through your own participation and then maybe some things that you've heard from some of the older members as well. Well, I think certainly the, the move towards professional improvement was a big step for the organization going for more of a social, social organization of professional improvement. You don't get me wrong when there's still a lot of networking and socializing, which is still very important for, <clears throat> for the organization. But I think professional improvement really helped us elevate the skills and talent of those members who attended like the writing workshop or the photo school. And I was even in charge one year with Patty Orlowitz. We did the layout and design workshop. And then since then, we've done in addition to our annual meeting where we have a lot of professional improvement, we have lots of regional workshops as, as well. So that really exposes our members to other speakers, other talent that's out there who can share their expertise and skills so that we can uh, hopefully learn from them and go back to our respective workplaces and uh, not only improve our own uh, professional skills, but also, you know, share those, share that information with members of the staff as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, reflected, you know, and just the caliber of our awards contest, the writing, the photography, the design, the social media. Um, it just, you know, I look at other contests outside of agriculture, and I mean, they're good. But when I look at the work in agricultural journalism, just you know, the writing, it gets to the point, it's very bottom line, but yet it has, it, the storytelling has really improved. And you also see that in the photography, you see that in social media. I think our ability in agriculture to tell the story about our industry just is, I think, head and shoulders above other industry, because I mean, we have a passion for what we do, but yet through uh, our professional improvement, we have the training to do it too. Um, I worked outside of agriculture for, uh, a couple of years in a corporate communications setting and the writing and the photography, it was just not up to what we do in agriculture. So I think our members can feel very proud of what they do. Yeah, Gail mentioned the Professional Improvement Foundation. Certainly that was, I count that as a, as a major milestone as well. That was again, vision of Larry Harper that Gail mentioned, you know, Missouri Ruralist and, uh, um, 
it's it's a 501c3 nonprofit, so it's really provided funding for uh, not only for scholarships for students majoring in ad communications, but travel stipends to go to the IFAJ uh, Congress, uh, you know, lots of other uh, uh, worthy projects and efforts that the foundation has funded and provided opportunities for our, for our members in, 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 a, in a lot of different areas. We had a major drive um, back in 93, 94, um, called the Publishers Challenge that uh, put money into the organization's PIF account. And it was just wonderful. That was led by Sarah Wyant, who, you know, was also one of the first women, along with a couple of others who really took leadership roles in the organization. Um, a couple of other things that I think are milestones are in the early 50s and 60s when they let vertical publications, and that would be like your beef magazines and your pork magazines, let them be involved. At first, uh, they weren't even allowed to be in the organization because they didn't have, they didn't have, um, you know, paid um, subscriptions. And so the controlled circulation was kind of a novel idea at that time. And that kind of changed the way people thought about the magazines a bit. Um, a couple other things that I think were milestones were becoming part of IFAJ in 1960, and then hosting the World Congresses in 92, 2009, and again uh, last year, which you know was wonderful that we could be part of this larger network of editors and learn from people across the world and also help some of those um, countries that are just starting to talk about and um, develop free speech um, was really a, a great thing for us to be involved in. The flame meeting, and again, this I got a lot of my information from the 75th anniversary too, was a turning point for the organization. And um, they were called the Young Turks of the Association, and that would have been Larry Harper and many others that were um, active at that point of wanting the organization to become more professional and not have so many of the um, receptions and things that were uh, sponsored by companies. We just wanted to separate church and state a little bit more, and that's pretty much when that happened. Um, the Ag Media Summit was a big turning point for our association, too, and the great work that Diane Johnson did of of managing those along with Dan Gardner. And to me, that was another milestone when Gardner and Gardner took over as management firm. You know, they really got us um, fiscally um, in a much better position and allowed us to do many things that we weren't able to do before. The first regional meeting was in 1994. And Gregor already talked about the importance of the foundation and women's involvement. I think that um, has been kind of a notable milestone too. Um, <laughs> Laura Lane wrote in the book, and you might have seen this too, Greg and Gil. She said that she wrote about working on a newspaper in the early 1940s. And she wrote, quote, we had a managing editor who treated males and females equally, like trash, unquote. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there was no separation of the genders there. <laughs> They all suffered equally. <laughs> well, one kind of interesting thing I too, too, and I think it applies just across the workplace, but I can still remember my first day of work, I was reporting to the Farmer Dakota Farmer Magazine in St. Paul, meeting my boss, Tom Doty, and it's just always struck me, he got up to shake my hand, 
and he put his cigarette down in his <laughs> ashtray. And in those days, I mean, you could smoke at your desk. I remember we had a home editor who smoked like a chimney. And Lon Tonneson and I would come. I would come from Brookings, South Dakota. He'd come from Fargo, North Dakota to staff meetings in St. Paul. And we would strategically get to the meeting room early and figure out where she was going to sit. So we could sit at the opposite end. <laughs> and that would spare us maybe five minutes before she or after she lit up with the smoke through. <laughs> that certainly has been one thing that's changed workplaces. Um, I remember, you know, my mom's a school teacher and the, school, the teachers used to be able to smoke in the school teachers' lounges. Um, and that's certainly something that's in the past, you know, by a good 20 years now. <laughs> it's easy to think about how vastly different things are. Um, over a hundred years, you know, we've talked about technology and the process of getting our publications to our readers. Um, but what are some of the things that you think have fundamentally remained the same um, through the association and through agricultural journalism in general? Yeah, I think you're right, Katie. Definitely the technology and the tools that we use have definitely changed, you know, tremendously just like the tools farmers use. But things that really stayed the same is the importance of writing a good story, you know, and providing solutions for, for farmers and ranchers. I think all of us who are in an editorial role really take that seriously. I think we all feel that we can we can play a part in helping our audience, you know, be more uh, successful and, and profitable, you know, in their respective farming operations. And, you know, it comes down to quality, 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 whether you're talking about, you know, the story itself, the words, or, you know, the supporting images, illustrations, photography, and, you know, and then taking that content and being able to use various platforms to get it out to, to the audience, whether they like the printed word or on one of the many digital platforms that, that are available. I think, you know, technologically, obviously it's changed a lot. I mean, going from pen to pad, man, or electric typewriters to I mean, laptops and cell phones. I mean, gosh, I can remember trying to find a farm and you'd have to call at night or over the noon hour to get directions and it would go something like well you're going to see that little lutheran church on the corner so then you take a right and go a couple miles and get those kind of directions whereas now just giving the gps coordinates uh, there was one guy in particular i remember he was a north dakota farmer probably up by Minot, and he had this heavy, thick Norwegian accent. And after I got to an interview, he said, well, you ought to see my neighbor. He lives up north and pointed <laughs> to the west. And I said, well, don't you mean the west? Oh, yeah, yeah, but I call it north. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that. But I think what hasn't changed, as Greg said, I think just the passion that we have to tell the story. And storytelling never goes out of fashion. And actually, the things that you know, you would write on electronic or electric typewriter that you put into a laptop today. I mean, just the need for tight, concise writing and making it interesting enough to grab the reader, but yet not enough to bog them down. You know, I think there's a saying that in every story, you have to drag a reader in kicking and screaming. And that was, you know, that was true in 1920. It's true in 2020. And those kinds of things, they never change. And I think that our uh, 
the future ag journalists 100 years from now when they're talking about in 2120, they're still going to be talking about that. Very well said by both Greg and Gil. Um, you know, I had the pleasure <clears throat> and responsibility of judging some of the um, writing contest entries this year. And I have to tell you, I was simply blown away by the quality and the creativity that our members have. And when they uh, submit these stories, it's just unbelievable. So the one thing that is constant is that people who work hard and strive for excellence are always going to rise to the top. And um, I think we've, because largely because of AAEA and the professional development that we've provided has helped us become better writers through the years too. And we're really blessed to have had that opportunity um, as Gil pointed out, you know, farmers are still farmers. They're eternal optimists. They're waiting for a fair price, but they're much more savvy and businesslike now than they have ever been before. And as a result, our writing to that audience has changed also. They still want good writing and they still want it to be conversational, but we're covering topics that um, we maybe didn't have to think about quite as much in the past. Mm. And as ag journalists, our job is still to tell their farmers honestly and objectively. And also while serving as their advocates, they represent such a small part of the overall public that um, I, I feel that that's one of our jobs as well. I, I think your point about um, dragging the reader kicking and screaming into the story is such an interesting one. You know, we hear a lot about how we're competing with digital advertising and TV and so much more now than we were a hundred years ago, but still then, you know, like you said, we had to drag the readers into the story. So it's good to remember that at the heart of all this is still really good storytelling and good reporting and sharing the lifestyle that we're all passionate about. Now, none of us, of course, were around for the first hundred years, for the very first hundred years. Um, and likely, I don't imagine we'll be here in the next 100th anniversary, um, but if you had a crystal ball um, to kind of look at what you think might be coming in the next 100 years, you know, what do you kind of see on the horizon for agricultural journalism? Well, I think the organization will continue to evolve just as it has in the first 100 years, and I, you know, we have the opportunity to continue to improve, and I really think that it will. I think we'll see more opportunities for networking, and mentoring and professional development. And we know that evolution is an important part of growth and I have confidence in the organization's future. I think our opportunity to bring in more people who might not be thought of as traditional editors and bringing in more of the younger members too and having the opportunity to mentor them. I'm hoping that that's one thing that we can see more of in the future. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, guys, <clears throat> with with uh, COVID, we're all working remotely now. And I think uh, it's so important to be able to get together as a group to, you know, talk about our successes, but also all the challenges we face. And uh, I know a lot of uh, editors now, even before COVID, were, were working remotely. And, you know, so there's that little kind of isolation. You don't have that interaction with your peers and colleagues. So I definitely see you know, AAEA being that conduit to bringing people together to talk about our industry, uh, talk about, you know, content, professional improvement, things of that sort. And, uh, I, you know, to me, I think 
the organization has a really bright future and confident that, you know, with the right leadership, it'll continue to evolve and, and serve, serve the needs of the members. You know, when it comes to thinking 100 years out, I'm not a, much of a prognosticator. An example I always used, I think it was, I had a small office in a furniture building in Brookings, South Dakota. And I remember, I think it was 1989, I was looking out the window and there was this state farm insurance agent I knew by the name of Skip Webster. And he was talking on this huge monstrosity of a phone, which was his cell phone. And I kind of remember thinking to myself, why in the world is he doing that? Because his office is three blocks away. He could be in his office talking on the phone. <laughs> so when it comes to looking at the future, um, you know, I'm a little bit hazy, but I think, um, you know, I think getting together and sharing ideas, you know, one of the good things about when we finally do get together at the Egg Media Summit, there are ideas that come outside of the program. Like I remember a couple of years ago, I was having some problems figuring out my uh, Nikon camera's focus. So I was just talking with Steve Werblow about it, um, an award-winning writer and photographer and showed him my camera and we figured out the problem in two minutes. So I think even those things that don't pop up in an official meeting, I mean, just that uh, visiting among ourselves. So I think that person-to-person -person contact will be as important in 2120 as is 2020. Um, the only other thing I could say, and I think some of it is COVID-driven, that even in the COVID era, um, it's forcing us all to learn how to do things um, with photography, um, you know, just doing Zoom meetings. I mean, I think I had my first video, it was a Zoom meeting on March 20th, and I remember the uh, person, the PR pro who lined it up, she apologized to me because I was interviewing a person out in San Francisco and it was five o'clock there and it was seven o'clock central standard time. It was on a Friday night. She just apologized profusely. And I thought to myself, well, with quarantines, where else am I going to go? <laughs> anyway, so I think just learning, you know, new skills like a zoo, running a Zoom or a WebEx meeting, um, you know, whatever happens, you're going to pick up new skills. And I think it's important to continually um, branch out and update your skills. Yeah, that's a really good point, Gil. I mean, to me, to me, I, you know, looking into the future and the, you know, the, uh, what's going to happen to farm publications, to me, it doesn't matter what platform eventually evolves as, as the primary. I mean, to me, it's exciting that, it gives me an opportunity to learn new skills. And uh, that's always been something that's motivated me throughout my career is being able to continually to learn new skills, you know, continually to improve my writing, photography, uh, and other things. And to me, that's really exciting. I, I, I enjoy the change. I mean, maybe some changes not as much as others and, and the accelerated speed that we're seeing change today. But you know, in the long run, it's good for everyone to continuing to uh, to develop new skills and be flexible and, and, and adopt. Sure. Flexibility is key these days. Um, I'm sure that we, you know, everyone listening certainly understands why the Ag Media Summit was um, transitioned into a virtual format, although I'm sure we're all disappointed not to see one another. Um, what are you looking forward to most about the the opportunity to um, host the summit this this fall virtually, and what do you hope members will gain out of that new experience? Oh, I think 
we have a really good program that's being lined up with professional improvement in mind, just as we uh, always have. We're going to continue with our award-winning contests virtually, which I think not only spotlight the best in agricultural journalism, but in every kind of journalism. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, one of the things that I never really thought about, but uh, we had a board meeting in, towards the end of July, as we normally do at the Ag Media Summit. And, you know, when I looked at the dozen or so faces out of it, I think I just made the remark, like, it is so, so good to see you, even if you're on my laptop, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think it's just, even virtually just coming together like that with all the relative isolation that we've all worked in the past six months, I think is going to, uh, you know, it's going to springboard, I think, until next supper when we have our meeting in Kansas City in person. So it'll set the stage for that. And we're also uh, going to fully celebrate our 100th anniversary in person next July, too. We kind of had to make some modifications, but we just thought it'd be a lot better in person to celebrate it. It would just pack more of a punch. I look forward to that for sure. I appreciate all of you joining me today. Um, it's been really fun to hear some of the stories that you remember from your early years participating, also from stories of other members. Um, and, you know, appreciate just you kind of taking a look at the 100 year history of the association. And we look, we all look forward to what's to come in the next five, 10, and 25 years. It'll be fun. Hang on, hang on for the ride. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. We really appreciate having this opportunity to talk with people and share and remember, you know, what this organization has meant to us because, um, you know, we wouldn't be friends, have so many friends and have learned so much had it not been for AAEA. I remember the time where I spent outside of agriculture after uh, I told them I was going back that I think it just floored them about our organization with all, you know, the places we've had the Ag Media Summit in various parts of the country and the international opportunities through IFAJ, the World Congresses. I think it just floored them because I think that's really unique about our industry is that it's global and there are so many tremendous opportunities available for our members. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.